Candy from Strangers by Mark Coggins is original, smart, and good to the last page, says best-selling author and executive producer of the hit TV series Bosch, Michael Connolly. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 19. Pigeonholing the Pigeon I'd no sooner got Chris calmed down than on the way to his Pilates class when the phone rang. I hurried to the kitchen extension to take it. Did you know in Chaucer's time that women with a gap in their teeth were considered highly amorous? Said Ellen without preamble. I laughed. No, but that's certainly consistent with my field research. Is it? It's been so long that I've been with another man, with any man, that I don't remember what it means to be amorous. Her words trailed off, and then she blurted, I've been thinking about you. What a coincidence. I've been... Don't say it, August. I feel very guilty about what we did, and I feel even more guilty when I'm sitting with Carolyn. At the time she needs me most, I'm daydreaming about you like a moonstruck teenager. I pushed spilt coffee grounds to one side and leaned my hip against the edge of the kitchen counter. You're being too hard on yourself, Ellen. I don't think so. I wish we'd met at a different time in our lives. Or in a different life entirely. I'm not big on that Shirley MacLaine reincarnation stuff. I'm glad I got to know you now, however difficult a time it may be for both of us. I heard a ragged sigh come over the line. I shouldn't have called. I guess I just wanted to hear your voice. She paused and a hospital PA droned in the background. Have you made any headway on the investigation? I was going out now to follow up on a lead Chris Duckworth brought me. Nothing solid yet, though. I won't keep you then. You'll call me later? Yes, of course. She hung up abruptly and I was left standing in the kitchen with a dial tone buzzing mockingly in my ear. I tugged on my lower lip and thought about what it meant when a woman asked you to call her after telling you she shouldn't have called you in the first place. I finally gave it up as imponderable and went out to retrieve the galaxy for a drive back to the Noe Valley Starbucks. The manager didn't seem to be in, but I didn't have much trouble convincing the reedy kid with dreadlocks to check in the back for more of Carolyn's packages. Sure enough, three new boxes from Amazon.com had arrived, and, more to the point, One of them came from Skinner's Pigeon. Given that he had requested Carolyn to take a picture of herself wearing his latest gift, I had prepared myself for the possibility that the item would be inappropriate, risque, or both. But I still wasn't ready for the Hello Kitty Leopard Pink Cyber Goth corset with convenient Velcro fastener that I found inside. As with the other shipments I'd opened, the packing list obscured the identity of the purchase as private buyer but Mr. Pigeon had been kind enough to accompany his gift with a note signed with his pet name for easy identification. Goth Angel, he wrote, Think of me when you wear this, and be reminded of the support, comfort, and dare I say it, discipline I provide. If you were to post a photograph of yourself in the garment, I would be most gratified. Your loving servant, 
Skinner's Pigeon. As with the email Chris had found, the note hinted at a relationship outside the context of the website, and, more specifically, seemed to suggest that the relationship involved mentorship or counseling. I'd had my suspicions about Dr. Levin since I first talked to him, but this pushed me over the edge. I barreled across town to his office on Goff, hoping to catch him before he went home for the day. It was 5.45 when I arrived, and I found the glass panel door to the Edwardian locked. A sign on the door advised that the office closed at 5 p.m., which seemed early for most businesses, but entirely consistent with the 50 minutes to an hour approach that therapists take to other timekeeping matters. In a snit, I pounded on the door for a good five minutes with no result. I had stopped to massage the reddened skin on the heel of my palm when a woman carrying a heavily laden cardboard box appeared on the other side. Juggling the box, she reached awkwardly for the doorknob and just managed to twist it open. I put my foot up against it to block it from closing, waited while she stepped back, and then held it wide open for her to come through. I'm not the sort of person who believes in fate, karma, or any of the New Age terms for predestination, but when we both got a good look at each other, I did believe in revenge. She started to thank me for holding the door, then registered who I was and shouted, You! in an angry voice with a heavy French accent. She hurled the box down at my outstretched foot, where the 30-plus pounds of books, file folders, and other office miscellanea eventually caused my big toe to turn the shape, color, and consistency of an overripe fig. I immediately bent to shove the box aside and render whatever aid I could to my tenderized appendage. She took this as an invitation to pound on my back with both fists while shouting a string of obscenities in French, the only one of which I recognized was Merde. I knew at least three things about her. The first was her name, which was Odile. The second was the reason for her anger. I had once bound her with duct tape and locked her in the trunk of the galaxy. The fact that she'd been holding a French-made Beretta in her lap, waiting to ambush my client when I surprised her, did not, apparently, qualify as mitigating circumstances in her mind. The final thing I knew about her was that she was a beautiful woman with a lush figure and long black hair who had been in love with a woman with whom my client, a man, had made the mistake of getting involved with. That had led to her stalking him, which in turn had led to my putting her in my trunk. I stood to face her and wrestled to take hold of both of her wrists. Cut it out, I said. Don't you know it's not healthy to hold a grudge? And don't you know that it's not healthy to be locked in the trunk of a jalopy? The way she pronounced jalopy made it sound like a decadent French dessert. I pushed her out of striking range and released her, still holding my hands up in a defensive gesture in case she went on the attack again. I locked you up, you mashed my toe. Let's call it even, okay? She ignored the question. You must be a harbinger of evil, she said with kind of awe in her voice. You show up every time my life turns to shit. I stood a little straighter, somehow honored by the recognition. What's wrong now? I lost my job is what is wrong. Why do you think I am carrying this box with everything from my office? Wait a minute. You work here? She yanked at the fabric of her black turtleneck, pulling it down over her hips. A matching wool skirt and loose belt of gold-colored rings completed the ensemble. No, you idiot, she said. I just keep my office things here. I do the actual therapy at the bus stop. 
I remembered now that she had been in residency at Stanford at the time of her run-in. Sorry. I'm a little slow today. Then you know Dr. Levin. Yes. He is my boss. Or my ex-boss. He fired me today after I declined to fuck him. Are you seeing him? That would be perfect. The fire snake treating the grasping jackal. If I can pick, I'd rather be the rascally rabbit. And no, I'm not seeing him, but I do want to talk. Is he in? She gave a grim little smile. He left hours ago, right after he fired me. I am to be out by the time he returns. I see. You don't happen to have his home address, do you? She pushed her lips out in the way French sometimes do and made a little puffing noise. If I knew, why would I tell you? How does revenge sound? The grasping jackal is not the harbinger of evil for nothing. I'm trying to nail his ass. I am bitter, but not so bitter that I would inflict you on him. Perhaps, after all, it is best I do not work here. Find his address some other way. She moved to pick up the box. How would you feel if you knew he'd been sexually harassing his patients, his young female patients? Would you give me his address then? She squinted up at me for a long moment, then took a notebook out of the box. She flipped it open to a tab section and tore out a page. Ir. This is his address. I hope what you say is not true, but if it is, then he deserves every misery you are so very capable of inflicting. She picked up the box with a grunt and charged down the sidewalk to the street. Thanks for your confidence, I called after her. Dr. Levin's house was on Washington Street, in the Tony neighborhood of Pacific Heights. His wasn't the most desirable address in the district, being too far down the slope of the hill that crested a Pacific Avenue, but the building itself, a former firehouse, more than made up for the lack. It was an imposing, church-like affair with a host tower steeple and double doors wide enough to emit horse-drawn fire engines. I went up to the smaller, human-sized door to one side and twisted the old-timey door chime. I heard nothing for a long minute, and then the sound of someone clattering down a metal staircase came through the oak door. It was opened by a woman with short auburn hair that was swept dramatically over her ears to emphasize earrings with diamonds the size of horse molars. Her face, and forehead in particular, were smooth and serene, but the skin of her throat was lined and sagging, which made me think she was probably the hostess with the mostess when it came to the Pacific Heights Botox parties I'd been reading so much about lately. She wore a simple pink cotton shirt with jeans, but covered her shoulders with a fringe shawl made of pink silk. Yes, she said with an imperiousness that made damn clear I better not be selling anything. I'm here to see Dr. Levin. Is he expecting you? I quoted from Golden Dawn of the New Epiphany. He who gathers thistles may expect pricks. She would have arched her eyebrows if her facial muscles permitted. As it was, she made a sort of protracted flinching motion with her head. Is that supposed to be clever? I suggest you leave our property before I call the police. She moved to close the door, but I shoved my foot against it, damaged toe and all. Hold on. Dr. Levin will positively want to see me. Please give him this and tell him there's a crisis with the patient involved. I passed over a plastic bag containing the gift from Skinner's Pigeon. I had the accompanying card in my breast pocket.
She hesitated, then snatched the bag out of my hand. I'll take it to him, but I'm not making any promises. Now get your foot out of the way. I pulled my foot back and she slammed the door in my face. Two deadbolts snapped into place. I heard the sounds of steps going up the metal staircase, and then I heard nothing. I walked away from the door and looked down the street. A woman in her early twenties with her hair in a scrunchie jogged down the sidewalk. The sound from her MP3 player leaking out of her earphones like singing munchkins as she went by. A silver Mercedes pulled into the driveway of a sprawling mansion across the way. The driver stepped out and caught sight of me loitering on Levin's sidewalk. He eyed me suspiciously over the roof of his car. Aluminum siding, I shouted. Be over to your house in a jiffy. He ducked back into the car to get a suitcase and then hurried up the driveway to Sanctuary. I heard the sound of feet on the metal stairway again and turned toward the firehouse. The deadbolt snicked back and the door opened to reveal Dr. Levin. He looked as stooped as before, but he had decided to do something about his hair. Through the miracle of combing, he'd moved the crown of his head to a point one inch northeast of his left ear and in the process managed to shunt a few strands of hair over his bald pate. He held up the bag I'd given his wife and flashed one of his insincere smiles. I'm afraid you have the advantage over me with this, Mr. Reardon. I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to make of it. Then why did you come to the door? He smiled again. Well, naturally I didn't want to be rude. I know that you are looking for Carolyn, and as I told you, I want to do what I can to help, within the limits of the therapist-patient privilege. I never told your wife who I was. How'd you know it was me, or that it had anything to do with Carolyn? The smile dropped from his face like a dried scab. He looked involuntarily to the thing in his hands, then forced his eyes back to my face. Well, I, I saw you come up the walk from the living room window, of course, and I knew you'd been hired to find Carolyn from our previous conversation. I leaned into him. I think if you'd seen me, you would have answered the door yourself, or stopped your wife from answering it at all. But let's skip the cat and mouse bullshit. You sent Carolyn the corset. You've been sexually harassing your own patient. That's the minimum charge. What I came to find out is if you kidnapped and molested her too. Levin backed away from the door and I can see into a narrow tiled entryway. Further back was a spiral wrought iron staircase. What are you talking about? He said. I would never engage in that kind of behavior. I'm a licensed ethical professional. I have three degrees from Harvard. I was elected to Phi Beta Kappa in my junior year. What? You didn't get a bid after freshman rush? Levin's face reddened, and he sputtered inarticulately. Good God, he said finally. You are the most ignorant man I've ever met. You can shove your Phi Beta Kappa key right up your ass, Levin. Academics and state licenses don't have a thing to do with it. This is an issue of ethics and character, not intellect or learning. The pupils of Levin's eyes vibrated like black BBs. You've got no proof of this. Has Carolyn said I sexually harassed her? No, I'm certain that she hasn't. I never once said or did anything during our sessions that could be interpreted as harassment. I stepped over the threshold, causing Levin to give more ground. Drop it. You know that Carolyn isn't available to say anything, and this isn't about your therapy sessions. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't determined that you are Skinner's Pigeon. Skinner's Pigeon? What are you babbling about now? 
Carolyn has a website with another girl where they post pictures of themselves and encourage visitors to give them gifts and money. Most of the visitors use code names to hide their identity when they send email or gifts. You picked Skinner's Pigeon. I suppose you thought the connection to B.F. Skinner's operant conditioning experiments with pigeons was a clever veiled reference to your profession, although it sounded to me like a cry for help. Are you having issues with self-esteem? Levin snorted and fixed me with another of his phony smiles. He pulled himself off the ropes. That's it? That's your proof? The fact that someone happened to use a name associated with research in my field? He threw the bag containing the corset at me and it bounced off my chest. Take that thing out of here or I am calling the cops. I moved like I was going to pick up the bag and then pivoted towards him. I grabbed a handful of his shirt and shoved him against the wall. He reeked of a citrus-based cologne. Skinner's pigeon wrote to Carolyn the day after I visited you in your office, I said into his ear. He knew that she had run away, and he knew that she was rumored to have a new boyfriend, although he was clearly jealous about it. You're the only one who could have known those things. Don't be ridiculous. Any of Carolyn's friends could have known that. You haven't proved anything. I tightened my grip on the wad of expensive Egyptian cotton I held in my hand. Do you know anything about the internet, Levin? What does that have to? I don't either, but my associate Chris Duckworth does. He's traced the origin of the emails to your computer. We've got you nailed. It was pure bluff, but Levin wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Tiny beads of sweat appeared between the strands of his barcode hairdo. He licked his lips, but then managed another smile. I don't think that's possible, but what if it were? Let's do a little thought experiment. If I were one of Carolyn's many admirers, if I corresponded with her and sent her gifts, there's still nothing you could do about it. She's advertising herself on the web, for God's sake. She's inviting people to make her an object of fantasy. In that scenario, in our little thought experiment, I would merely be a subscriber to a freely available web service. I grit my teeth and hiss through them. You're her fucking therapist, Levin. You're supposed to be helping her, not feeding your sick perversions. If I find out that you're the reason she ran away, I'll... He laughed. What will you do? Feed me a knuckle sandwich? That tore it. I let go of his shirt and popped him right in the mouth. Over 999 served, I said. Levin slid down the wall and collapsed in a heap on the floor. He was more shocked than hurt, but his lip was split and blood was oozing from the wound. What kind of troglodyte are you? He said wonderingly. The kind that will kick you until I stave in every last one of your ribs. Now what do you know about Carolyn's disappearance? He brought the back of his hand up to blot the blood on his lip, staring at me all the while. I told you everything I knew at the office. I moved a step closer to him and drew my foot back. You didn't tell me about visiting her website. He scuttled like a silverfish along the baseboard. Okay, okay, he said. I did go to the site and I did send her gifts. But I never saw her outside of the therapy sessions and most of the time she never even responded to the emails and gifts I sent. I didn't have anything to do with her running away. Did she know Skinner's pigeon was you? No, I don't think so. I mean, one time I thought so, but I decided not. I stared down at him, trying to decide what to do next. I halfway believed what he was telling me, but my threat to beat him further was idle, and I knew that I would never get the advantage of him like this again.
I want your files, I said finally. What? I want all the files you have on Carolyn. Those are privileged documents, and you wouldn't know how to interpret them anyway. Don't tell me about privileged after what you've done. Give me all the files or I'm reporting you to the AMA or whatever oversight board you shrinks have and Carolyn's parents. And if you think I'm a troglodyte, you haven't met Quentin Stockwell. Police Lieutenant Quentin Stockwell, that is. Levin looked down at the floor and shook his head. I know all about him. All right, I'll messenger you the files tomorrow. I reached down to yank him to his feet. I want them tonight. Levin started to argue, but the sound of someone on the spiral staircase came to us. We both turned to watch as Mrs. Levin wound her way down from the floor above. What's going on here? I thought I heard something fall. We were just having a little therapy session, I said. Pick up the bag, Dr. Levin. Levin reached dutifully for the corset, and I gave him a shove towards the front door. Where are you going? demanded Mrs. Levin. We have the opera. Tell them to start the screaming without you, I said. He's going to be late. You have been listening to Candy from Strangers, a book Mystery Scene magazine described as crackling and whip smart. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>